Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, we're going to look at the first five verses of Romans chapter 2 today. Um, but I want us to be reminded again, uh, and, and as we go through these passages about sin, I want us to be reminded of who he's writing to. He is writing to a church. He is writing to the Roman believers who have been called by, to belong to Jesus Christ and who have been loved by God and called to be saints. If we are believers, that is us. To all those who have faith in Him, as we just sang in that last song, to all those who have faith in Him, will uh, I can't remember exactly the lyrics that we just sang, but uh, will rise up from the grave. We are not saved by our good works. We are not saved uh, by uh, just knowing the right things. We are saved by our faith in Him, trusting that His death covered our sins. We have been called by God. We have been loved by Him. We have been called to be saints. So I just want us to remember who this is written to. And then... We have also seen that the gospel, this gospel that Jesus came, He became flesh, that the second person of the Trinity became a human being and lived among men, lived a spotless, sinless life and died on the cross to cover our sins. That message of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. The power of God is revealed in the gospel. His righteousness, His his saving righteousness is revealed in the Gospel. And as we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, we need to know why we need to be saved. Why did we need this Gospel? Why was it necessary for the Son of God to leave heaven and die for us? And it's because of our sin. In the last couple of weeks, we've looked at how the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness of men because we see, we see the evidence of the wrath of God in death and in sickness and in the moral degradation of society, of humanity as a whole. When we dive deep into the moral degradation of humanity last week, that God turned them over. He turned them over. He, he gave them over and let them have what they wanted. That was judgment. Because we exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Because we, uh, we worshiped idols instead of the living God. We turned away from the fountain that satisfies 
and hewn out for ourselves broken cisterns that would hold no water. Because we had done that, God handed us over, handed human beings over to degrading passions. We saw last week how one of those uh, that Paul spent quite a bit of time on is homosexuality. But he didn't stop there. And if we just stop there, we might be able to say, you tell him, Paul. We might be able to give a hearty amen. Oh yeah, you give it to him, Paul. But he doesn't stop there. He then goes on and he talks about other sins, all filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, their gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And not only do they know God's righteous decree that such who practice such things deserve to die, they do them. Not only do they do them, but they give their hearty approval to those who practice them. We're kind of, we need to know our context here. And I, I, I can see that as Paul was saying this, uh, he, he has uh, an opponent in mind. And I, don't think, I don't think his opponent is the church who's receiving this. I don't think his opponent is, is uh, uh, the, the, uh, the Roman church there. But he has this imaginary opponent. And I, by imaginary, I don't mean that it's just made up. I mean, this is, this is what sinful man thinks. He turns then and says, therefore you have no excuse. We have a transition here. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. And just imagine how this might play out. Paul here is saying, they are this way, they are this way, they are this way. And you've got this section of the congregation that's sitting there saying, all right, you tell them, Paul, you keep going. Yeah, they need to hear this. And then Paul turns to the crowd that's given him his amens and says, therefore, you have no excuse. Oh man, every one of you who judges. Let's go ahead and read our passage beginning verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Most scholars 
say that this passage that we're looking at today is where Paul turns to the Jews. Paul here points, he's pointing out the unrighteousness of the Gentiles. They're idol worshipers. They practice homosexuality. And they list all these things. And the Jews, maybe in the synagogue where Paul was preaching, could, could give them hearty amen and say, yeah, you tell them Paul. And as he turns there, he says, therefore you have no excuse because you do the very same things that you judge. What are they being judged? What, what are they have no When we say we have no a person has no excuse, say it's a child, they've done something wrong. And we might say, you have no excuse for what you did. You know better. Right? And what we're saying is the punishment, the discipline that's coming is just. It's righteous, it's deserved. They knew what they weren't supposed to do, and they did it anyway. That's exactly what Paul means here. We know what we're not supposed to do. And the Jews here, uh, they have the Bible, they had the Old Testament scriptures, they had the law. And yet, as Paul points out, even though they have the law, they didn't practice it, they didn't do it. They sat back. They were self-righteous. They said, oh, we have a covenant with God. We have a covenant with God. God God is is going to be faithful to us. I'm going to get by because I'm a part of God's covenant people. And I think that sometimes we fall into the same thing. We're not Jewish. But maybe we can say, well, I grew up in church. Or grandma was a believer. You know, uh, it's been said before, this is not original to me, it's been said before, God has no grandchildren. We are not saved because of the relationship our parents or grandparents had with the Lord. We're not saved because of our ethnicity or because we grew up in America or because we grew up in church. None of those things can get us anywhere. We're not saved because we are self-righteously moral people. Because we can sit back and point at others and say, oh, look what they do. No, that just causes us to be even more guilty. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Why is it that this opponent that Paul has in his mind, why is it that this opponent is condemning themselves? It's not because they're judging. In fact, Paul is judging, right? He's saying all these things and he really believes them about the Gentiles. He really believes that homosexuality is wrong. He really believes that all those other lists of things are wrong. I mean, if, if, if they're condemning themselves because they're judging, then Paul's just as guilty. No, he says, for in passing judgment, I'm going to skip ahead, you the judge practice the very same thing. 
It's not the fact that they're judging, it's the fact that they're hypocrites. They judge, and sometimes we judge, and yet we do the very same thing. When we do that, we condemn ourselves. Uh, or Paul's opponent condemns himself because they're, they're saying, they're agreeing with God about the sinfulness of sin. When it's the other guy. And then whenever it's themselves, they think they're exceptions. They think, well, I'll get by. God won't. God understands my situation. <coughs> then he says, "We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things." He, he affirms God's justice. His righteous judgment. It says, again, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Now earlier, we talked about the righteousness of God that's being revealed in His saving righteousness. But this passage talks about another righteousness of God. It's about the righteous judgment of God. And it's right for God to judge sin. It's right for God to judge sinners. Of which we are. Do you suppose, he asks the question, do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? He asks the question, of course, expecting a no. You who judge others, who point out them in a condemning sort of way, do you think you're going to escape the judgment of God? I want to step back again. Paul in his mind, I don't think, is talking. Uh, I mean, he is, he's laying this argument out for the church at Rome, but he knows they're believers. They're not the ones trapped up in this. He's making this argument to illustrate what humanity does. So, um, although we all do this, uh, to some extent. We all are hypocrit- hypocritical to some extent. Um, I think Paul's point is the unbeliever thinks they're just going to get by with it because they're, you know, all, they're, maybe they're good outweighs their bad or something like that. Or maybe because you know, they think, well, I'm a good person. But that's just not the way it works. Verse 4, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Presumptuousness. Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance? Well, we know that God is both just and He is gracious. He is kind. He is merciful. And... 
the Jews who were having this attitude, who, who had the law, who, but rejected the Messiah who came, They may be thinking, well, we know that God is kind and God is merciful, so what does it matter if I believe in Jesus? What does it matter if I trust in Him? God is kind. God is gracious. And that's true! He is kind. And He is gracious. But we ought not be presumptuous about that. Paul says, His kindness is there for a reason. His kindness is there to lead us, to bring us to repentance. Not knowing that the kindness of God, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And God is so kind. It is necessary that God is both just and kind. If God was just just and not kind, not merciful then the moment we sin for the first time, God would squish us like a bug and we'd be done. There would be no second chances. But in His graciousness and His kindness, He is patient with us, longing for us, waiting for us to repent. He gives us time. He allows us to continue to breathe. He allows us to continue to live. And every moment, every second that we get, is a, it is a demonstration of His kindness waiting for us with open arms that we would repent. Turn away from self-righteousness, thinking, I can do it all on my own, I'm a good person, and turn away from sin. Do you presume on the good richness, riches of His kindness? We don't want to be presuming on the riches of His kindness. Just That's what the world does. They may not know anything about God. They may not know the Bible. But they know, well, God is supposed to be loving. And if God is loving, then I'll get by. Right? They have a picture of God who is all loving, but they don't know about his, his justice, about His righteousness, about His disposition towards sin. And God is both just and kind. And His kindness is to bring us to repentance. But, verse 5, because of your hard and impenitent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He uses the same word he's used before. Revealed. God's Righteousness is revealed in the Gospel. His saving righteousness is revealed in the Gospel. God's wrath is revealed from heaven right now against sin in death and sickness and the moral degradation, but in one day, His righteous judgment will be revealed in the future. We have a future tense. Will be revealed. And that is when He comes again and He puts all of His enemies under His feet. 
The, he separates the wheat from the chaff, the sheep from the goats, and the goats are sent into an everlasting fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And those in the, in the position here that Paul is describing I think he's talking here in his day about Jews, but people who are just moral people who do not trust in Christ are in this position today. Because of your hard and impenitent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. Notice this word storing up. Jesus said something about storing up, didn't he? Don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy. But store up treasures in heaven. He's talking about treasuring. And oh, the irony here. Because not, they are not just not storing up treasures for heaven. They are storing up wrath because of their hypocrisy and because they refuse to repent. God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. And God's arms are wide open. He has given us the gospel that Jesus died for our sins and that if we trust in Him, He will save us. And this message is open to anyone who would believe. And people still sit back and say, well, I'm pretty good. God would never do that to me. If God is just, then why would He send anybody to hell? You've heard it before. The longer we maintain, or as long as anyone maintains that attitude, we are storing up wrath for the day of judgment. This is some pretty heavy stuff. No one was, you know, in chapter one, Paul is making his case that the Gentiles have have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. They have have uh, turned away from the Creator and worshipped the creature instead. Uh, they have been morally degraded. They've de- they've degraded themselves by uh, passions. And then he turns to those who think they're righteous in this passage. It can be the Jews in Paul's day. It can be the churchgoer today. Who, or even, not even just the churchgoer. It could just be the person who thinks they're righteous. Who thinks they're good, or at least good enough. Who thinks, oh, me and God, we've got our own thing going. I think Paul's point here is to highlight what we see in verse 4. The patience of God, His kindness is to lead us to repentance. 
His kindness is to lead us to repentance. He gives us every breath, everything that we sustain ourselves with, everything, every good and perfect gift comes from Him, as James says. We, believers, we are looking to Jesus as the only way out of this. What Paul here is doing is he's condemning everybody. Those who think they're righteous and those who know they're not. Everybody is condemned. What we stand here with is a position in which everybody's going to hell. And we see this as he gets to chapter 3 whenever he says, for the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is where he's going. Everybody is condemned. And there's only one way out, and that's the gospel. We look to him. Jesus came and was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross and bore our sin on his behalf, not on our behalf. And not only that, but he gives us the righteousness that is not our own. We, could, we cannot stand before God without righteousness. And our righteousness is never sufficient. So what does he do to fix that? He gives us his. He gives us his. All of us are condemned because of our sin. The only way we can be forgiven, the only way his kindness can stand is that He gives us a righteousness that is not our own. He gives us Jesus' righteousness. And so we trust in Him. The just will live by faith. We trust in Him. That His righteousness is enough. We look to Him. We throw ourselves on Jesus alone. We stop trying to place our faith in ourselves, in our own righteousness, or in any kind of um, uh, benefits that we may have because of where we were born or who we were were related to or anything like that. No, our only hope is in the gospel that has power to save. listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.